Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Hello and welcome to the 106th episode of the Shaman's Brew Radio. I am in the, the process of changing not only the show, but my business and my life as well. There's a lot of changes coming in 2012, uh, both for the show, uh, my business, and my life, as well as your life. And, and we're going to be talking about those in the coming episodes. These are all positive changes. And they can be in your life, too, if you take the proper steps. A lot depends on your own perception. So be sure to stay tuned to future shows starting about the end of this month. And also uh, be sure to check out the changes coming up on my website, sacredsoils.com. And uh, I think you'll like what you see. In uh, tonight's show, I'm going to welcome back my, my dear friends, Fox and Erwin from Pagan Parents on the Edge, as they talk about Santa Claus. Nobody brings Santa Claus to life like Fox. And I think you're going to like this episode, and it'll probably uh, enlighten you on a lot of things you didn't already know. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to play a song for you first, and then we're going to get into Pagan Parents on the Edge. Here comes Santa Claus. Love, like the love that had finally found 
your host Erwin and this is episode number 19. We have a very special guest with us tonight and in honor of the Yule season we thought we'd do something a little bit different. (laughs) To start off with I'm just going to let my guest introduce himself because he's known by many names all over the world. Many names indeed but you can call me Santa Claus tonight. Okay Santa thank you so much for being with us tonight. Very busy time of year for me, but since the spirit of what I am is in so many places at this time of year, I'm happy to be here. You said that I can call you Santa Claus, but I'm curious because you're known by so many other names. Where does the name Saint Nicholas come from? The name Saint Nicholas comes from the Christian religion and a saint who was known in Turkey at the time. And Saint Nicholas was known for giving presents? St. Nicholas, as known by the church, was a devout clergyman who made his reputation as a man who would help the unfortunate in his eyes. What that particularly meant at the time was he looked out for unmarriageable young women, women who were perhaps unfortunate enough not to live in a rich enough family to have their own dowries. One of the actions that this saint took was to take small bags of coins and throw them through the windows of young unmarried women so that there would be enough money in the family that they would have a dowry and therefore a chance to have a husband. So St. Nicholas is just one aspect of who Santa Claus really is. But you strike me as a much older spirit than just this saint from Turk. Tell me about your origins. Where do you come from? My origins are lost in mist of time. The spirit of Santa Claus is the spirit of generosity, the spirit of joy, the spirit of hope, which has been around for as long as man has been able to feel. And that's exactly what we celebrate at the time of Yule. Tell me a little bit about the difference between celebrating Yule and celebrating Christmas. You seem to be a figure that's celebrated in both of those traditions. I have been known by many, many aspects. Those that celebrate my aspects during Yule celebrate the aspects of the great northern shaman, that personage that comes with the wisdom of the closing days of the sun. In Christmas, they celebrate me as a saint, that wise character who embodies the spirit of generosity and hope. I've heard some people say that the figure of Santa Claus comes from the god Thor. Is that true? I have many aspects that are much like many gods. And yes, the great Germanic people have tied so much into my spirit. And indeed, many of the aspects of what I am perceived of during this season can be linked to that great god Thor and many others as well. What are some of the other aspects that you're known as? I'm also tied to Odin. I'm tied to great gods of the past. But the main aspect that is part of what my spirit is, is a part of every man, woman, and child on the planet. And that is aspect of hope. Aspect to take judgment and turn judgment into hope. I'm glad you mentioned the idea of judgment because that plays a lot into the popular mythology of who Santa Claus is. People talk about checking the list twice for who's naughty and nice. Am I on that list and am I naughty or nice? The naughty and nice list, a contrivance of the modern mythology of the spirit that I am. All people, all men, all women, 
grandchildren. All spirits upon this plane are on both lists, for nary do we do anything in our lives without some aspect of one shading the other. But where is your intent? That is the key. So I might intend to be nice and end up being a little naughty? As many are so fond of saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but it is the intent. In our modern culture, you are pictured wearing a red suit with white trim. Where did that idea come from? The red is an ancient symbol of the god Thor and is representative of the hearth and the fire in the heart. White is also old as time and is the pure driven snow and represents the purity of those intentions. Santa Claus, I need you to help me. What should I tell my son, Thunderwolf, who's getting to be at an age where he's starting to question whether or not you really exist? What can I say to him? Tell him what's in your heart. You leave that Santa Claus exists. If you believe in me, your son will believe in me. This is the basis formation of his early understanding of magic of spirit. You know, I am so honored that you've come here to visit with us because you bring a real understanding of the true meaning of Christmas as the spirit of giving. What can people do to honor that? Give. Give with no selfishness whatsoever. Give purely for the joy of giving, the joy that you want to spread to those around you I know that everyone out there is going to be filled with spirit of giving. What's your favorite way for us to celebrate? The generosity of spirit is a beautiful thing. Share it. Give it. Give it to your friends. Share it with your family. Share and give of yourself in love and joy. That makes season whole for you, for them, for everyone the world over. Look into your heart. There you will find the true meaning of what my spirit is. Thank you, Santa Claus. <laughs> You're very welcome. All right, and welcome back to Pagan Parents on the Edge, and I'm your host, Fox. It's great to have you with us, Fox. <laughs> it's uh, interesting to be back. <laughs> For all you lucky listeners out there, we've just been visited by the spirit of Santa Claus as channeled through our favorite podcaster, Fox. I'm your favorite podcaster? Oh, of course. Thank you. <laughs> That was a pretty intense experience uh, just then. Yes, indeed, what I what I was doing was attempting to channel the spirit of Santa Claus through me. And I tell you, it was a little more intense than I thought. And because I have a cold, I was having these kind of physical anchors sort of holding me down a little bit. So I was having a little bit of problems connecting with the full channel. But it was working on this other level off the top. And I'm not really sure how it went to tell you the honest truth. Well, it definitely was a spiritual experience for me. And I've had the experience of speaking to spirits through channels for, and it was very similar to that. The questions I asked did not get the answer I expected, and that to me is one of the big clues that something else is happening here. It's not not what you think it might be. It was weird because uh, while I was channeling part of this, part of my... uh, I have a very bad sinus infection going on, so it's really distracting me in a physical sense. So while I was trying to make this connection to the channel, I was also a little bit physically aware of what was going on, but not completely. And I expected this jolly, happy, (laughs) merry kind of thing going on, and it didn't really feel that way to me. It felt much more priestly. I usually think of Santa Claus in a very broad range of ideas, and priestly is one of those ideas, but... It's not usually the first thing that comes to mind when I think of my favorite character, Santa Claus. And if you haven't guessed, Yule is a very important time of year for our family. It's probably the biggest Sabbath for us. It is for me. It it, it has uh, come around 180 degrees from 10 years ago for me that now Yule is number one on my list of times of year that I really like to celebrate in a very magical and combined with a spiritual sense. Because in my own personal practice of spirituality and magic, I tend to draw kind of a dividing line between the two of them. Uh, You can get a little magic in spirituality and you get a little spirituality in magic. But for me, you get a very nice balance of the two of them at Yule. Yeah, I was going to say, when I first met you, I remember you being very reluctant to celebrate even reluctant isn't even (laughs) the word my my 
catchphrase for the holiday season was ho ho hell leave me alone Ooh, that's worse than bah humbug <laughs> yeah I, bah humbug I, I i i started off with bah humbug and i thought that's not enough and then i came up with ho ho hell i worked in the retail industry for about 10 years and i tell you what you really want to if you're not uh, in the right frame of mind you really want to get uh, totally negatived out by the Christmas season, spend one Christmas working part-time in a retail place, and if you're not in the right mindset, it will totally F over your idea of Christmas. Yeah, I used to work at Michael's Arts and Crafts store. It's a chain we have here in the States, for those of you who have never heard of it, and the thing that got me which actually they did this for every holiday, but of course it was multiplied exponentially at Christmas time. Was they would get all these little figurines, and if you can picture a, a major department-sized store with the aisles, like aisles with shelves and shelves and shelves of little figurines, all doing different things Christmassy, like little mouse Santa Clauses and everything. Then they've got the little dog Santa Clauses and the little I, bear Santa Clauses. I worked. In, I worked. In in big box retail and the thing about big box retail is, is Christmas pulls in around September so by Halloween you're just about burnt out on it but uh, I've overcome that I've overcome that over the years Christmas means something entirely different to me now my uh, ex relationship had something to do with my negative outlook on the Christmas season and then being involved in retail on top of that just compounded the issue. Well, one thing I want to talk about real briefly, because there are probably some pagans out there that might be offended by the amount of times we use the word Christmas versus Yule. And I guess I pretty much just say it out of habit. To me, it's just Christmas time. I'm not really thinking of the Christian mythology when I say that. It's just the word I've always grown up saying. And me, the celebration of Christmas has enough pagan elements in it that I personally don't really have a problem saying Christmas, although I do see a distinction between Yule and Christmas. We kind of celebrate them both. The, uh, the word Christmas itself is two words kind of merged together. You have Christ and you have Mast. Now, the modern Abrahamic traditions have pretty much co-opted the word Christ, but the thing to remember is that the word Christ is an ancient Hebrew word that, if you break it down, means king. So, you take the word Christmas and you break it down to its original meanings, what it means is the king's celebration. So, pick your king. Frankly, just because it says Christ in it, Christ was not Jesus' last name, much that many people <laughs> think that it is Jesus the King when you say when when the Christians say Jesus Christ they're saying Jesus the King so the word Christ itself I don't really find offensive because I look at it I look at it at that more ancient meaning and I look past the Abrahamic co-opt of the word God and the word Christ and look at it through a different lens you take the celebration of Christmas itself for quite some time it was actually suppressed by the Christian Church because there was so much controversy in the early formation of that religion about when the actual birth of Christ was and it wasn't until about three or four hundred AD that they got together and decided that they were going to put their celebration on top of the celebration that was already being celebrated by a dozen other religions at the time of this rebirth of the sun use that synonym however mm -hmm. you want. Um, but you mean S-U-N. Right. The when other, I, the other religions were celebrating the sun, as in the solar star that our solar system is That is, that is, that is correct. So you have this long-standing ancient tradition of birth of something high and extremely special. And once again, the Abrahamics came in and sort of co-opted the whole thing, and it beca becomes such an entrenched tradition to think of it that way that you know, I'm one of those people that like to kind of break certain, mm -hmm. what I see is shallow veneers over things to get to the deeper meaning. So I don't have a problem with saying Christmas at all. I remember one time I saw this thing on TV, and, and I don't know if it was a movie or what, but it was a representation of the Roman emperor at the time, and the discussion that all the Roman people, the Roman leaders were having of deciding whether or not Jesus was a god or not. It's like, they, they, it was a political decision that they made. 
Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, I mean, the whole they, they had a debate and decided. You know, how so many numbers thought, you know, yes, he was a god. So many numbers thought no, and they they just made this decision. Well, we're getting into something different here. This is not really where I want to take the podcast because the whole idea that Christianity was adopted by the Romans as a way to control slaves through religion was indeed a political decision, despite what some people want to think about it. This is the way I personally perceive mm-hmm. it. I'm more interested in discussing Christmas as a Yule-based tradition itself. And the way I look at Christmas, when I say Christmas, I'm talking about that Yule celebration that doesn't happen right on the solstice. You take ancient tribal people who ran their whole lives based on counting days and watching how the sun moved on the horizon. And you would have the tribal shaman sitting in the cave, watching a cleft in the rock and marking off how the shadow moved in the rock. And when the shadow started moving back, they knew that the winter solstice had come and they'd made it through the darkest part of the season and they knew at this point whether or not they had enough food or whatever to make it through the rest of the cold months until the growing season started again. So this guy would mark it off and say, yep, here's the solstice, 21st. Need to send somebody out to let everybody know that the solstice has happened. So he sends his acolyte or his messenger or her, however you want to perceive this, these uh, ancient peoples. They send their acolytes out who go around to the villages and say, the shaman has seen it, the solstice has come, we've made it. We're going to, you know, this, this is how much time we have until the growing season at this point now. So that's the 22nd while all these people run around. Then on the 23rd, the message goes out to everybody, let's get together and we're going to celebrate this great happy time that has come on. The 24th happens and everybody is getting together and they're cooking and they're getting things together for this big celebration. And on the 25th, this big celebration happens. It's no mistake that Christmas is celebrated so many days after the winter solstice. There's been a time where it took, you know, we're so used to the instantaneous transmittal mm-hmm. of news during the time when it took news a little time to travel. And we're used to instant food that we take right out of our fruit refrigerator and prep up for our feasts and stuff like that. During this time, it took a little bit for this to all come together. So there was a period of several days until they could have a big celebration. Once they knew that the solstice had come, several days would pass while messages were going back and forth, while people were letting each other know and clapping each other on the back and baking and cooking and rounding up what they needed to round up to have this big celebration. And that's why it would happen on the 25th. So no turkey loaves back in pre-Christian tribal time. Not that I'm aware of. Unless there's some pretty crafty uh, butchers. What in the world are you turkey loaves? I just brought that up because you like turkey loaves so much. <laughs> the things you come up with, woman. What I'm really looking to do, though, is I want to bring this podcast back around to the direction that I wanted to go in the beginning was a discussion about that holy figure, Santa Claus, and all the weird mythology and conceptions and misconceptions involved in the character. Well, it seems like the figure of Santa Claus has come from many different traditions, and the figure that we see in the popular mythology is kind of a conglomeration of a lot of different things. Well, that's exactly what it is. It is a conglomeration of primarily Northern European shaman characteristics rolled together with Christian mythology and rolled together with the way we look at the modern Santa Claus, a lot of what could be considered pop culture mythology. Yeah, even the like the Christmas story is kind of a pop culture, like the night before Christmas and all through the house, that one. Right, Clemens and the, and the uh-huh. whole poem, The Night Before Christmas, written for, um, uh, actually was written for a Masonic, if I recall correctly, was written for a Masonic Lodge initially. And But wasn't that in like the 1930s? or something. It was in the 20th century. Yeah, Yeah, very, very, very (laughs) recent. The formation of the modern ideals of Santa Claus, the way we look at the singular image of Santa Claus nowadays is this jolly fat guy in a red suit. Definitely is a formation of the conglomeration of a lot of different mythological elements rolled into one and presented to the modern ideal in pop culture. But up until that time, Santa Claus was represented a lot of different ways depending upon where your family came from and where your traditions involving this northern shaman really came from. And it ranged everywhere from Christian saint to devilish imp, frankly. Mm -hmm. I remember being a kid and seeing pictures of, I guess what you would call a traditional Santa that has like the longer 
robe-like coat and and just thinking, ooh, what a weird-looking Santa, you know? He, he didn't have the black belt and the black boots or whatever and, and didn't have, like, Rudolph sitting next to him. And I was like, oh, that's some weird, exotic other Santa. <laughs> not sure, not sure. the American Santa. <laughs> sure, sure. The first time that I really saw a Santa Claus image that broke away from the pop culture mythology, which, although not created by Coca-Cola, as many people would you have have you believe, was popularized by media campaign run by Coca-Cola. But that image had already existed before that. Coke didn't create it. The first time I saw something that was different from that image was a more Christian, saintly image that came from the Catholic Church, which does, I mean, the character of Santa Claus, Chris Kringle, or St. Nicholas, is really seen as a saintly character in the Catholic Church. I remember I met a Santa Claus one time who told me a story about how he did the Santa Claus for a home for retired nuns and was received very much as a priest with, although he made it extremely plain that he was a pagan priest portraying this character, they see right through that to the spirit of what Santa Claus is in this priestly role. And they were like asking him for blessings and giving confessions to him as if he were a regular priest in the Catholic religion. And he's seen very much like that. They look through that pop culture mythology and they look through all these different aspects of the Santa Claus character to that northern shaman, that priestly spirit that resides within the mythology. It's really an amazing thing to me. I, I just love hearing stories like that. And really, I love the fact that you're so into Santa Claus in this way, in a spiritual way, because it's easy to get jaded when you're just looking at that pop culture veneer, you know, and just thinking, oh, it's all about the presents or whatever, and I know you were kidding me last podcast about that, because I know it's not all about the presents. Right, I know you're not that way. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to this understanding of Santa Claus as a spiritual being? Well, it is kind of interesting, because ten years ago, or a little bit longer ago than that, when I was so, so jaded on the whole Christmas spirit, I got to the point where I just saw Santa Claus as just another marketing tool, and I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, I totally eschewed the entire, you name it, everything about Christmas just totally disgusted me, and I basically went into, like, practical hibernation where I didn't like to be around people, I didn't want to... You didn't cook a turkey loaf that year? Ha 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 ha, you're just not going to let me rest on this whole turkey loaf thing, are you? (laughs) No, I didn't cook a turkey loaf that year, and and during that time, I celebrated Thanksgiving more than I celebrated Christmas, although I still watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with a little cringe at the arrival of Santa Claus, knowing, oof, this was it, and we're... Oh, just if I make it to the next 30 days, I'll survive. But now I look at it entirely different. And I've got to say that although I had started coming back around to the spirit of Christmas beforehand, the birth of Thunderwolf really drove home once again for me the magical spiritual nature of the season. It's so oriented, the actual magic of the season is so oriented towards a childlike view of spirituality and belief that I was able to reconnect with it by seeing it through his eyes. I was wondering if you were going to mention that becoming a daddy kind of helped with that transition for you. Well, I had started transitioning a little bit before then. I mean, even when you met me, as bad as I was, you could have just imagined me a couple of years earlier, I was even worse. I mean, like I said, I basically hermited myself. I wouldn't come out. I left I left home, went to work, came back, and turned off the TV, turned off the radio. I mean, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I had started to come around. In Birth of Thunderwolf, it was another one of those catalysts that changed my life so much that I also started seeing this thing that I had started to grow to despise and was kind of coming away from that in such a spiritual way because I knew that it would mean so much to him. And now I remembered as a child the magical quality that the time of year had for me and wanted him to be able to participate and have those magical feelings as well. And that caused me to have an even deeper re-examination of what I felt about 
about the season, and the more I examined the season, the more I saw how much it revolved around this spirituality that was kind of epitomized in this main character, the, the Santa Claus character. Right. Well, I don't know if you remember uh, from the opening uh, part of this podcast, but one thing that's kind of been bothering me a little bit, you know, you're talking about, you know, wanting children to have a, a magical, spiritual feeling at, at the time of Yule, and for myself, I remember the time when I realized there was no real physical person as Santa flying around in a sleigh and how devastated I was. Should we put a spoiler alert from the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> well, I just feel like, I mean, yes, I, I want to convey this magical feeling of spirituality around the time of Yule, but at the same time, I have this nagging guilt of I've been lying to my kid <laughs> for well, over many years. I mean, I understand from our adult perspective, it's, we've already gone through that process of understanding how belief plays a role in creating a spiritual presence in our lives. But for a, for a young child, they take things so literally that I, I'm afraid that he won't really understand yet. And I, and I don't want him to grow up that fast either. Well, I mean, I think about it this way, that what we're doing is laying the groundwork for that kind of magical belief that creates a belief that's powerful enough to manifest something on the physical plane. There is, to me, very little difference between the belief in Santa Claus and the Abrahamic belief in Yahweh. 9.6 billion Christians on the face planet all believing at once in this character that they call God, which you know, the Yawa, is, creates this physical presence that is a reality in their world. And to me, it's no different for us when we believe in our own gods, or if we believe in spirits, or if we believe in fairies, that belief creates a doorway for that spirit manifest itself on the physical plane with us. This particular time of year, you take how many people across pantheons of religion believe in this character and what he stands for create this physical manifestation. And that physical manifestation may be present in the alcoholic loser playing Santa Claus, taking pictures of Maul, who's hiding a bottle in the elf shack. But when an eight-year-old sees that, he doesn't doesn't see that what he sees is the manifestation of that belief and in his mind I think that is creating the pathway for belief to create magic okay so you're definitely converted Santaite <laughs> Santaite that sounds like some sort of bizarre mineral uh, I'm, a, I'm a devoted Santa worshiper I mean it sounds weird to say that to some people but I mean I believe in Santa as a spiritual entity that represents hope and also judgment There's there's a balancing there that people don't tend to look at in the Santa Claus character that I try to make sure that I'm aware of that Santa Claus, while represented in current mythology, is this entirely benevolent giver of presents. Not always been represented like that in mythology. And the underlying, you know, whether you're on a list of naughty or a list of nice, that judgment is there. And I think that that judgment, through an understanding of the Santa Claus character, allows you to take your own soul and put it on scales to calculate your own value to yourself. Can I live up to the naughty and nice list? And where do I land on the naughty and nice list? See, it's a pre hugely preoccupying idea in the mind of an eight-year-old, and I think in many instances it needs to be an idea that adults look at too. I agree, actually. And I don't know if I've mentioned it a lot on the podcast, but moral character has kind of taken it down slide, I think. In general, in our culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another podcast in itself about how our culture is going to hell in a handbasket. Uh -huh. But Santa's going to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't tempt me. No, don't tempt me. I, I wish. I wish it would turn out that way. But that's actually a good a good idea to bring up, too, because I feel like not enough people really evaluate their actions from this position of, are you being generous? Are you being truthful? And it's actually a really hard standard to live up to. Well, I don't know uh, uh, about whether or not it's a standard to live up to, but I think, especially at this time of year, when you're turning your eye inward to yourself, it's a good thing to reinforce how you kind of can look at yourself. Where is the intent there? I mean, you know, I've done some things this year that I, I don't know, I might not be the most proud of, but I did them with the 
best of intentions. So, I mean, I'm not looking for, like, legal loopholes in the, <laughs> in the naughty and nice list, but I didn't do anything this year to be hateful or mean. I might have done some hateful and mean things, but I meant them in the best ways. God, that just didn't come out. That just totally <laughs> no. made me sound like a psycho. You weren't channeling Santa when you did those things. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not going to use Santa as my alibi. But I do think that Santa, as a child, that unrelenting, pure belief in Santa Claus and are you going to land on the naughty list or the nice list sets up an internal foundation for you the rest of your life to kind of measure your morals and your ethical behavior. I, I agree. I mean, it, it sounds good the way you're talking about it, but I feel really bad when I say to a kid, you know, Santa's not going to bring you any presents if you you don't blah 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 whatever i mean i feel like that's totally holding this thing over a kid's head that i, I don't know i, Who do I you <laughs> say that to do you say that to our children i i don't think i do but <laughs> i totally don't say that i i'm i i have actually had that internal discussion with myself and i Oh, man, because I got that used against me as a kid. I know, I did too, and I hated it. I did too, and I would, I just, I couldn't imagine telling Thunderwolf or Featherwind, oh, you better be nice, or Santa, you know, won't bring you anything. Now, I have on occasion used the, especially this time of year, you know, Santa's watching. That way, they can look at themselves and make their own decision for themselves whether or not they're being, quote, naughty or nice. <laughs> That's a much nicer approach. I like that. <laughs> okay, so you're a confirmed Santa worshiper, and I've had the pleasure of being a Xanda in your fancy red suit. <laughs> I, hey, you laugh, but it's one of those, and I mean, I'm not trying to be like sexist or anything like that, but it's definitely, in my mind, a kind of a male mystery sort of thing. I don't know from a female perspective what it would be like to play Santa Claus, but as a man, when you put on the suit, something happens. And I don't care whether it's a cheap $5 suit that you got at the drugstore or in this, my particular case, where you made me a very nice suit, something happens when you put on the suit. And this power steps through you like you are a doorway. And I tell you what, it's a pretty amazing experience. I know we've talked about it in another podcast, but I want you to tell the story again about what happened time when we had our Yule celebration and just briefly what we do in our Yule ceremony is that Santa Claus comes in the middle of the ritual and, and it's very incorporated in a spiritual way, but he ends up giving presents to the kids. Then afterward, I forget exactly how what happened? What happened afterwards that you were speaking to him? I think he was four years old at the time. When uh, the very first time that I put on the suit, I had actually had a male friend of mine do it the year before, and he wasn't available to do it the next year, so I decided to do it myself. We made up the, we made the nice suit and everything, and I turned the beard white, and we did the ritual, and it was very powerful and everything, and I could feel this thing moving through me. And all these kids that knew exactly who I was, the look that they gave me was like looking through me at something else and, and it was just this amazing probably the probably that first time that I put on the suit was the most powerful amazing spiritual magical channeling that I have ever participated in and after the ritual is over Santa Claus hangs out at the party and while at that point I'm no longer really channeling the Santa persona I'm still kind of holding a little bit of the Santa power with me but I'm socializing with the adults as Fox would socialize with his friends and kind of playing with the children sort of this nebulous in-between box and Santa Claus thing which they see it in different ways depending upon how old the child is and how close they are to me in my regular mundane world. Now here's the story that you're, you're getting at though. That year Thunderwolf had turned four that year and we had finally got to the point of potty independence. <laughs> no more diapers, no more accidents in the pants, and it was that point where the only thing that we were left doing as parents was we would go in the bathroom with him and help him get his pants down and help him get his pants back up and everything else would happen. Well, I don't know, you were busy doing something, and I was just handy, and Thunderwolf stands on the stairs in a loud voice in the middle of a party with, you know, 20 adults and dozen-plus kids, announces to everyone that he has to go to potty because he's letting Mom know that he needs somebody to come and help him pull his pants up and down. And I remember telling you, don't worry, 
I'll take care of it. So I walk upstairs with him to the upstairs bathroom, and all night long, he's been giving me these, like, sidelong glances, just, you know, trying to sort of sort out what's going on here. Get up to the bathroom, and he gives me this kind of, kind of quizzical look, and I'm like, I'll come in there and help you. Slams the door in my face. <laughs> and this is the first time that he had full bathroom independence. Did it all him say so he wasn't letting this weird stranger <laughs> come in the bathroom with him, which I find that kind of reassuring. Comes out of the bathroom. The upstairs bathroom is right next to the master bedroom. And as we walk past the master bedroom, he kind of gives me this sly look and says, that's yours and mommy's bedroom. Now at this point, I'm still holding on to a little bit of this Santa power persona thing. And I want to go ahead and play it fully through for the children at every opportunity. So I look back at him and say, yes, that's your, that's your mom and dad's bedroom. He gets kind of this funny look on his face and all the rest of the night is peppered with these little questions where he's like trying to catch me in a lie, basically. Mm-hmm. And finally, at uh, some point later in the evening, he doesn't even really look at me when he says it. He just kind of like says it over his shoulder and asks me, are you my daddy? And then I lay on him the, tonight, I'm Santa Claus. And he was like totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the humorous part of the whole thing is, is the next day he goes to daycare and tells all the kids at daycare that his daddy is Santa Claus. <laughs> With no doubt in his mind whatsoever. Although I must say that this year we had the Santa Claus talk. We talked about the secret of Santa Claus, which was different than when I was a kid. And my dad just basically said, hey, son, there is no Santa Claus. I don't believe that, as you obviously can tell (laughs) by this podcast. And so I approached it a lot differently with him. And he understands now much more the magical aspect of spirit and the connection between belief and this character that we call Santa Claus. And really, I think you dressing, well, I say dressing up as Santa, but it's more than that. The role that you played through ritual and the spiritual experience all along that's been there. And I feel like that kind of, I think, softens the blow a little bit because he's always had it in his mind that Daddy is Santa. Yeah. So, although know, Featherwind, I don't feel quite as bad. Featherwind cut right to the bone last year where yeah. she was like, oh, look, there's Daddy. Last year when she just turned two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, look, there's, there's Daddy. All these other kids are like, oh, that's that's Santa Claus. That's Santa Claus. She walks right up, looks as, oh, that's Daddy. <laughs> yeah, she blew it for everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, I think she thinks that I'm Santa Claus, which right, right. is not in my belief of how the Santa Claus spirit works in men portraying this personage is not incorrect. Right. Yeah, I don't think I would do as good a job with being Santa as you do. Well, like I said, I think there is, um, I haven't really examined it till this year in this particular fashion, but I really do think that perhaps this is a male mystery kind of thing. I mean, hope I'm not violating any of the male club no. secrets by saying that, but I mean, it, it, there is, now you've done this Mrs. Claus to Santa Claus thing, and while it doesn't really have the same spiritual impact as the Santa Claus character does, it was still extremely magical in itself that you are like this co... Conspirator? Not conspirator <laughs> is not really the word I'm looking for, but like this this additional part of the magic that is Santa Claus. And it I seems... don't have a cool outfit, though. You had a cool outfit that year. Yes, you did. I don't remember. The white blouse and the red and green and plaid oh, skirt. Yeah. And you played off the Mrs. Claus thing when, uh, when uh, Jay... Uh, 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 when when my friend yeah. JT played Santa Claus, and it worked. I remember now. Okay, and it worked very well. And although, like I said, as Mrs. Claus, I didn't really feel the spiritual connection that there is to the Santa Claus personage. Yeah, well, there isn't. But there was still a very magical thing about that. Hmm, maybe I'll have to look into that more. That would be a bad idea, actually. If I intended to channel Mrs. Claus, what would happen? <laughs> That'd be interesting. I need a fancy outfit, though. A a new one. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, where I'm going here, and the main thing that I really wanted to express by bringing up the whole Santa Claus, what I told Thunderwolf is the Santa Claus secret, or the mystery of the character of Santa Claus, is the deep connection between belief and magic and spirituality. And if you can put your perception of the experience that you have with this mythological character through the eyes of a pagan, I guarantee you, you're going to see some things there that you're not going to see on a TV commercial using Santa Claus hawk merchandise. There's a definite spiritual, magical, and very, very pagan underpinning this character. 
And now it's time for the podcast of the week, brought to you by Dun 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 that he does with Isaac Bonowitz. And I know some of our listeners from our local area have been to festivals where Isaac has come and done workshops and things, and and some of us have had the pleasure of meeting him and speaking with him. And it's just really neat to hear one of our American VIPs, very important pagans, (laughs) (laughs) speaking with a bunch of uh, druids over there in England and just listening to what he has to say. And I thought it was really neat. And just in general, I always recommend Druidcast because it has a lot of really Really good pagan information and awesome pagan music. So give it a listen, and I'm sure you'll love it. And if you have anything that you'd like to say to us or comment to us, you can get in touch with us at paganparentsote at aol.com, paganparentsote at gmail.com, and you can friend us up on MySpace at Pagan Parents on the Edge, and you can comment to the blogs and leave comments and messages and. I'll do my very best to get back to you guys. And remember, we're still looking for emails, good emails, comments on the episodes and stuff and how you feel and think about different things that we've said for the special Yule episode where we're just going to do listener emails. And I'm getting a little list of really good emails, and I'd like to have yours. And that's going to be our next podcast, right? Um, It's going to be an extra podcast. So, we'll, Oh, yeah, extra, yeah, extra. It's going to be an extra podcast. I'm not sure what the next podcast is because we rarely really size up what we're going to do each podcast. <laughs> until like the night before or something but yep we're still looking for those emails so if you have something that you really feel deeply about or would like to comment about about some of the episodes that you might have listened to please send us an email and let me know that I can use it on the show and we'll include it in this special listener Yule episode I'm looking forward to that one <laughs> I love you Arrowwind I love you too Fox now I'm going to close this show out with a song called Father Christmas from Gaia Consort's CD the burning. This is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio. And the sun is going down Like it's the last light that I'll ever know In this wilderness of wires Made of science, made of stone And a landscape full of people With no center And no Onto this land With our eyes full of gold and deceit With the smallpox in our blankets And the Bibles in our hands And the fear of anything that walks our wonder Anything to do with it or me and you 
light that is burning like a wild thing They are inside with their fires burning bright To shut out the light Well, I have walked on this old mother earth And I see how she is torn I know what my heart says to me For as many hearts are broken as as many hearts are born But not so many hearts can wander like a wild thing Lonely or free Father Christmas Won't you slide on down the Milky Way tonight All these children They are sleeping but their dreams are burning